Psalm 71 is found on page 453 in those Black Pew Bibles. If you don't own a Bible, and this is a new thing for you to do, to open up Scripture and study God's Word, I'd encourage you to take this Bible home as our gift to you and read it. We think that the English Standard Version that we're using here is a faithful, uh, excellent translation among many English translations. So if, again, you don't own a Bible or maybe you own one and it's hard for you to read, I'd encourage you to take this home and read what you've heard today over and over again. Meditate on Scripture day and night, for that's how the Psalms begin. Blessed is the man who meditates on God's Word and His law day and night. And if you do already own a Bible, I think that's still a good reminder. We're in the study of book two of the Psalms, and we should not just hear this on a Sunday and then fill our mind and our heart with all kinds of other things the rest of the week. Let's be those kind of people that care deeply about God's word in season, out of season, day and night. And so we give our attention now to Psalm 71. It's a long-ish psalm, and I'm going to read it in just a second, but I'd like to give you some introductory thoughts for us to apply this word to our life. I've repeatedly seen this phrase used in news headlines. Perhaps you've seen it as well. The United States of America is in a retirement crisis. Baby boomers, those who were born between roughly 1945 to 1965, meaning if you're somewhere in between the age of 58 and 78, you're, you're a boomer. They are retiring right now at an average rate of 10,000 people per day. And over the next 20 years, it is estimated that 70 million baby boomers will stop working. Those over the age of 65 are the fastest growing age demographic here in the U.S. However, it's not just a problem isolated to the United States of America. Our world is rapidly aging. And according to the U.S. Census Bureau, from the year 2025 to the year 2050, it's estimated that the population of those over the age of 65 will double and become 1.6 billion people around the globe. To put that into perspective, in 2015, there were 8.5% of the world's population was 65 or older. By 2050, that number will be 16.7% if the estimate is accurate. Now, if you know anything about this word retirement and you hear it, it's often associated with this theme of vacation. In a word, if you were to sum up retirement for many people, especially in the United States, we would think retirement's about a long extended vacation. Do a Google search. Just search the word retirement and you'll see articles, advertisements, and tips will show you how to save enough money for retirement, and lots of different books for how you can enjoy it the most. Retirement gifts are like a coffee mug that says, goodbye, tension, hello, pension. On a kitchen wall, you might hang the acronym RETIRE, R-E-T-I-R-E, and it says, relax, entertain, travel, indulge, read, enjoy. Yet, for any of you who are Christians and have older Christian friends, and you listen to them, 
you will know that they're sounding the alarm that the lure of the American dream of retirement never quite delivers on its promises. Your big idea for Psalm 71 is this. If God's righteousness rescued David from impending shame during his retirement, for lack of a better word, then how might God's righteousness rescue us from a shame-filled retirement? Big ideas in the form of a question and in an application. Really, if you want to sum up Psalm 71, it is that God is righteous, and that righteousness is the basis of David's ask for rescue, rescue from shame. I think that's the best way to sum up the psalm, and in fact, as I read it, realize if you look down and glance at the text, verses 1, 2, and 3 have these key words, the righteousness of God, the rescue from David, from shame. And then if you drop your eyes down to the middle of the psalm, this is the turning point of the psalm, verses 12 to 16, you're going to notice that David prays not just for rescue from his shame, but he, rests, he prays that God would put his enemies to shame. So turn the tables on those who are trying to take my life. And then the psalm concludes with a de- declaration of praise. Look at verses 22 to 24. And the way that David says that he will praise and he will sing and he will play music to the Lord, as verse 24 says, because of his righteousness, because God has put those who try and hurt him to shame. There you go. There's the overview of, I think, the structure of the psalm. There is a beginning, there is a middle, and there is an end, and it all has to do with the righteousness of God, which is the basis of God's deliverance. Deliverance from what? Shame. So let's read the psalm with that in mind, and then let's apply it as we work through this big idea. Psalm 71, starting in verse 1, in you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me and rescue me. Incline your ear to me and save me. Be to me a rock of refuge to which I may continually come. You have given the command to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. Rescue me, O my God, from the hand of the wicked, from the grasp of the unjust and cruel man. For you, O Lord, are my hope, my trust, O Lord, from my youth. Upon you I have leaned From before my birth, you are he who took me from my mother's womb. My praise is continually of you. I have been as a portent to many, but you are my strong refuge. My mouth is filled with your praise and with your glory all the day. Do not cast me off in the time of old age. Forsake me not when my strength is spent for my enemies speak concerning me. Those who watch for my life consult together and say, God has forsaken him. Pursue and seize him, for there is none to deliver him. O God, be not far from me. O God, make haste to help me. May my accusers be put to shame and consumed with scorn and disgrace. May they be covered who seek my hurt. But I will hope continually and will praise you yet more and more. 
My mouth will tell of your righteous acts, of your deeds of salvation all the day, for their number is past my knowledge. With the mighty deeds of the Lord God, I will come. I will remind them of your righteousness, yours alone. O God, from my youth you have taught me, and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. So even to old age and gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those to come. Your righteousness, O God, reaches the high heavens. You who have done great things, O God, who is like you? You who have made me see many troubles and calamities will revive me again from the depths of the earth. You will bring me up again. You will increase my greatness and comfort me again. I will also praise you with the harp for your faithfulness, O my God. I will sing praises to you with the lyre, O Holy One of Israel. My lips will shout for joy when I sing praises to you. My soul also, which you have redeemed, and my tongue will talk of your righteous help all the day long, for they have been put to shame and disappointed who sought to do me hurt. Brothers and sisters and guests and visitors, the grass will wither, the flowers will fade. Your retirement, it will end. But God's word will endure forever and ever. Amen. What was the big idea? If God's righteousness rescues David from this impending shame in his old age during his retirement, then how might God's righteous, righteousness rescue you and me Rescue us from having a retirement filled with shame. And so I want to take this big idea, apply it to us in three parts. Retirement, part one. Rescue, part two. And righteousness, part three. If these are the three key words that I see in this psalm. I think it'd be good for us to make sure we understand how they work and fit. So first, retirement. What does this shame-filled retirement look like for David, and what might that look like for us? What's David concerned about? Or, to put it real simply, there's a problem going on, and on the basis of that problem, David's reaching out to God. So let's, let's examine part one, retirement. A shameful retirement. Now the word shame here, used in verse one, is the word boosh. B-O-O-S-H, if you wanted to spell it out in English, boosh. And quite literally, the word means to fade, to become pale. I kept thinking of that phrase that's often used when people that are in retirement age say, they put me out for pasture, to become weak or feeble. It's associated with the idea of being disappointed, humiliated, embarrassed because of the state of being Weak, feeble, washed out, irrelevant, abandoned. And that's specifically the shame that David's referring to. It's the result of oppression from wicked men and unjust men. Look at specifically verse 4. He says it, O God, my God, rescue me from the hand of these wicked men, from the grasp of the unjust and cruel man. But notice the specificity of his stage of life in verse 9. Do not cast me off in the time of old age. Forsake me not when my strength is spent. 
There it is. Retirement, old age, weakness, feebleness. This is associated in both the words themselves and the psalm with the idea of getting older and older, weaker and weaker. Honor and dignity in our day is often given to the strong and the mighty, but that's not just our day. That's any day. The world prizes strength, looks down on the weak, whether that's young or old. And David says he's weak. Look back at Psalm 70 and remember he declares in verse 5, and we believe, I think, that these are actually one psalm in two parts. Psalm 70 verse 5, but I am poor and needy. He's old and he's weak and he's poor and he is needy. His strength is spent. His muscles, they just don't work like they used to. His eyesight is not as sharp. His ears don't hear very well. People have to keep repeating themselves around him. And on top of all of that, just the feeling of becoming old, which in and of itself is difficult to deal with. David's being taunted and teased. Look at verse 10 and 11. You see that quite clearly in Psalm 71. For my enemies speak concerning me. Those who watch for my life consult together. And you can kind of imagine a group of people gathering around whispering, Oh, David's not as strong as he used to be. He used to be this great, mighty, military warrior. He was a strong, young man, a king over Israel. Now he's an old man. And they start saying in verse 11, God's forsaken him. Let's get him now while he's weak. No one's going to deliver him. This is the situation David finds himself in his retirement. Forsaken. The fear of being forsaken. Abandoned. Fear, being alone, left behind and forgotten, not just even by his friends or those in his own family, like we mentioned last week, Absalom, his own son betraying him, but by God himself, forsaken, abandoned, left behind. That's the kind of shame that David's talking about. Look at verses 17 and 18. O God, from my youth you have taught me, and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. So even to old age and gray hairs, O God, don't forsake me. It's quite easy, I think, to see that this connection between the shame that he is praying that he would not receive is related to the idea of not being abandoned or forsaken by his God. So in summary, point one, retirement in David's life. What does shameful retirement look like? It would look like God abandoning him in his weak old age. The loss of God's protection. Notice the language of refuge and rescue and be my rock and my fortress in verses 2 and 3. It would be the absence of God's hand to guide and protect and take care of David as he can't protect himself. He's vulnerable. David needs protection from those who see that vulnerability and they want to prey on him and take advantage of this situation. I think already, if we just pause here and consider any of you, is it possible that you already now have these same fears and concerns about your life? I don't think it really matters whether you're old or young, but especially, obviously, if you're getting older, nearing retirement, these Feelings, these descriptions, these thoughts might be in your wheelhouse right now, might hit close to home, 
the feelings of getting older and your muscles not working and always needing to ask for help, wondering whether or not you will have enough finances and if someone's going to take care of you, wondering if you're going to be put into a home and be left alone and abandoned and nobody comes and visits you. As Christians, I believe that it is our duty to promote dignity of every human life on this earth. Therefore, this is in direct contrast to the idea that we would pray on the weak. The enemies that David's talking about are not far off in ancient wisdom literature. They're not far off in some distant land in Israel. Those enemies that prey on the vulnerable of the elderly, they exist in this land right now. I remember talking to one of our church members who was working a job in car sales. And he told me a story about how his boss, when he was being trained, said, when you see somebody that's from another country, therefore they don't know English very well, or they're older, you need to make sure you mark things up because they won't normally see it very well. I'm not talking about something far off. This is normal in the ways of this world. I've heard stories from those that work in nursing homes or hospitals, the way that the elderly are mistreated, abandoned, neglected. Their bedpans aren't changed quick enough. They're not promptly provided the help that they need to get up and go to the bathroom. They're, they're fallen over and they lay on the ground for hours and hours. Brothers and sisters, sometimes this is a hidden evil that we have decided to push off to the side. But as Christians, if we care about the dignity of every person, including those that are older and can't take care of themselves, is this problem of shame in the retirement age a fear that some of us might have or an issue that we should address as those who care about protecting the rights of the weak. Not minimizing the elderly in our church is just another expression. Let's not even talk about what's going on outside there in car sales or nursing homes. It wasn't too long ago that I remember somebody coming and visiting Embassy Church and telling me, I'm really glad you're young, Pastor Phil. I'm looking for a pastor who's young. And I just thought to myself, why? I'm inexperienced. I don't know what I'm talking about half the time. At least I'm just trying to say what the Bible says. At least the Bible knows what it's talking about. But I'm sitting here talking to you guys about old age. What do I know about that? Why would we want to find a church with a young pastor? Now, there might be good reasons for that. But in general, could it be that the mindset of the world has creeped into the very hearts of Christians too? True religion James says, is caring for widows, those that are too old and too poor to care for themselves. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, listen to these instructions. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would your own father, younger men as brothers, older women as your mother, younger women as sisters, and do it in all purity. Honor widows. Honor and respect those who are older than you. And then Timothy goes on to give instructions for how to do that. Do You see, all through the scriptures, the New Testament church is not supposed to mimic the world in the way that we think about those who are of old age. 
In other words, if you're catching my gist, David's fear of having a vulnerable, weak, poor, not protected state of life in the end of his old age, well, if the church was doing its job, brothers and sisters could have a sense of security in God's protection for them through the means of the church. And in many ways, I think that this is the way that we can display to the world a different way to be humans, a different way to look at what it means to be a human, and the way that we care for one another. One more New Testament scripture passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 22 to 23, Paul flips our value system upside down and says, on the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are actually indispensable. Apply that to anyone that you think is too old to listen, too old to talk. The parts of the body that are in the church that seem to you to be weaker are actually indispensable. You have to have them. We must include them. We must respect them and honor them. He goes on to say, and those parts of the body that seem like they're less honorable, we must bestow even greater honor. If we're to reflect God in Psalm 71 and the way that David is appealing to God's righteousness, he is banking on the fact that God will be righteous to him in his old age. If we want to display God's righteousness in our retirement and treating of those who are in that retirement age, brothers and sisters, I think that we need to up the ante of just our heart posture, our disposition, and our practicalities for how we care for those who are getting older and older in the church. So I encourage you to think deeply about your own life, your own heart. Does any of this reflect you, your own specific views of your grandparents or your parents as they're getting older? Wasn't it beautiful for those that were joining us downstairs to hear Dave share the testimony of his faithful care for his mother? for the last three years. What a testimony of the very thing that we were talking about here in God's word. And David prays to God's righteousness on the basis of that and asks for rescue because he is in a predicament, retirement. He doesn't want to be disgraced. He doesn't want to be shamed and left abandoned. So what would it look like what would it look like for God to answer that prayer? What would it look like for rescue to come? Well, David tells us. Rescue from a shameful retirement, it doesn't look like retirement. Let me show you what I mean. Verse 6. My praise is continually of you. Verse 8. My mouth is filled with your praise and with your glory all the day. Verse 14. But I will hope continually and will praise you yet more and more. My mouth will tell of your righteous acts, of the, your deeds of salvation all the day, for their number is past my knowledge. With the mighty deeds of the Lord I will come. I will remind them of your righteousness, yours alone. O oh God, from my youth you've taught me, and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. So even to old age and gray hairs, O oh God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those to come. David's not praying, God, rescue me so that way I can have a vacation. Rescue me so I can give you praise. 
Notice the God-centeredness of David's prayer. First, he gives the basis of his prayer on the basis of God's righteousness and on the basis of God's character. And since he knows God will come through even in his old age, he prays for a specific request. I don't want to be shamed and disgraced in my retirement. Now, one of the things we need to make sure in our Western individualistic society is for many of us, shame is about personal shame. This is not true in David's day. He is thinking about how his shame would be a disgrace to God himself. It would bring about shame upon the whole nation of Israel because he represents all of Israel. So don't think about this just for you individually. The connection to you would be if you were to disgrace Jesus Christ as a Christian today, that would bring harm on the body of Embassy Church because you are part of us and we're part of you. If you go live like a non-Christian, that brings shame and dishonor, not just on you and your individual life. Oh, well, that was bad for them. That's bad for us. That's bad for anybody who calls themselves a Christian. That's bad for the body of Christ. Think about the relationship between individual and corporate shame, because that was not separated in David's day when he writes this. Save me so that the nation of Israel and your covenant promises come through and the whole world will know. And we can declare, you're faithful. You're true to your covenant promises. You didn't let us down. You didn't forsake us. You did not abandon us. He says it again in verses 20 and following. Look at verse 20, the very end of the psalm. Oh God, you've made me see many of my troubles and calamities, but you'll revive me again from the depths of the earth and you will bring me up again. You will increase my greatness and comfort me again. And I will also praise you with the harp for your faithfulness, O oh my God. I will sing praises to you with the lyre, O Holy One of Israel. My lips will shout for joy when I sing praises to you. My soul also, which you have redeemed. And my tongue will talk of your righteous help all the day long. For they have been put to shame and disappointment who sought to do me hurt. Do you realize that we should never think about retirement from ministry and serving and praising God? That's not the kind of retirement that David's thinking of. He's praying for deliverance precisely so that he can give God praise, so he can be more involved in worship, so he can continue to say, from the moment I was born, through my youth, and all the way till my death, God was faithful. And he says that there are so many things that he could say that he doesn't even know how to count them. Do you see that retirement as a Christian is a different kind of concept than vacation? Is that your goal, young people in the room? Are you hoping to retire at 50, early, have 30, 40 years of vacation and fun? Or even if you do retire from your job, do you see that as an opportunity to serve exponentially with time and resources for the kingdom of God? Ah, that's a different idea altogether, isn't it? Perhaps we've been, again, too infected by just general assumptions about what people should be doing in their old age. David says, even to old age and gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me until I have the opportunity to do what? Tell of your righteousness and faithfulness to the next generation. I want the young people in the church to know how good you've been from every season and stage of my life all the way to the very end. What a desire. What a prayer. We need new coffee cups for retirement. 
I don't know what it should say. I'm not always that clever, okay? So I just want to give you a concept that I came across in a helpful, short little article. And it said, don't waste your retirement. And no, it wasn't written by John Piper. <laughs> rescue from vacation retirement, for many of us, we need rescue. We need saving, not from the shame of having somebody chase us and kill us in our old age. For most of us, that's not going to relate. I kept thinking that the kind of shame that we might bring is the kind of retirement that gives all of our last years on something that really doesn't mean much at all. That would be shameful. That would be a disgrace. So instead, the article recommended, instead of thinking about vacation retirement, think about Sabbath retirement. I thought that was helpful because the article was trying to explain that there are times when, because of your older age, you're going to do less. And that in Sabbath rest posture, you can cease to work your full-time job. But it doesn't mean you stop praising because Sabbath is about worship, communion, and connection with God Almighty. So I wonder if we as a church developed a new culture and I don't know what the actual lingo would be, but what if instead of vacation retirement and that whole connotation of ideas that comes from America and the world, we call it Sabbath retirement. So retire, stop doing your job, but don't stop being a faithful Christian and don't stop like David here, wanting to tell the next generation of how faithful God is from one generation to another. Now this part is from John Piper. In a sermon on Psalm 71, addressing the older saints of his church, if you know anything about his story, in the 80s, he took over a church that was full with people that were mostly 70 or older. And then, as he was pastoring, a bunch of new people came, because this new young pastor came to town. And so now he's got this church of a bunch of young people and a bunch of older people. And he did a three-week sermon series to try and encourage them to work together for the sake of the gospel. And in his sermon toward the old people, he preached Psalm 71. You can look it up on Desiring God, but there was a part that especially grabbed my attention. He took that line. I want you to look with me down again at the passage where David says, O oh God, from my youth you have taught me. This is verse 17. And I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. So even to old age and gray heirs, O oh God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation. So John Piper said this to his church. Even to old age and gray hairs, O oh God, do not forsake me until what? Fill in the blank. What's the blank that you need to fill in in your individual personal life? Especially if you're over the age of 65. How would you fill in that blank? Piper gives this very helpful list. O oh God, till every widow in the nursing home near my house has a prayer partner. Oh God, even to old age, do not forsake me until at least one older person is involved in every Wednesday night kids' choir, class, or club. Oh God, do not forsake me until this old, dilapidated sanctuary building is painted and windows are repaired so that we can grace the neighborhood for five, seven, eight more years. Oh God, until I have written every missionary that we support once a month for the next five years. Until I see our partner churches on their feet strong. 
until there are Bible study groups and partners for every resident that wants to be trained for ministry, until we stop abortion in our city, until this building is paid for, until there is a great awakening in the land of America and there is a harvest of souls to the glory of Christ. Until what? Fill in the blank. That was Piper's church back in the 1980s. How might we, as embassy church members, individually and corporately, fill in the blank? Until when? Oh God, do not forsake us until we buy our own building. Until every younger member of this church has a prayer partner that's at least a decade older than them. Until we're able to have the appropriate amount of elders and deacons. Fill in the blank, Embassy Church. Until when? That's what I think saving us from disgrace would look like in retirement. That God would be near us and draw near to rescue us from our American dream of vacations and give us Sabbath rest until our dying breath. Number three, if we've considered what the problem is and it's a shame-filled retirement and we've contemplated how to apply that for us today in 2023, what it looked like to be saved from a shame-filled retirement. Number three, the basis of it is the righteousness of God. How might that shape you or be the basis for your prayers or even all of these exhortations? Are you grounding all that I'm saying in the character of God? Well, brothers and sisters, we must. We must be reminded every day and every week about God and his goodness. And David does not say it once. He says it twice, three times, four times, five times. Either righteous or righteousness, talking about God and his character. The word is sadiq or sadikah in Hebrew, and it means to do right by someone. It's a very simple way to remember the word righteousness. It doesn't mean like a sense of moral standing as much as it does that every time you interact with someone, you do what would be fair and right. I believe another way to sum it up is what Jesus said, is to treat others like you would want to be treated. That is righteousness. Do you always treat one another the same way you would want to be treated? The more you do that, the more that you are living in a righteous way. Well, God according to David, says that every relationship on the earth, he will treat them with the rightness and the fairness that they deserve. And that's why David is praying on the basis of God's righteousness. In verse 1, see it again. In Verse 2, in your righteousness, deliver me and rescue me. This is not a common phrase, in fact. One of the things that makes Psalm 71 stick out is the fact that David's appealing to God's righteousness for his deliverance. Do right by me, God. What is, what is he possibly referring to? I believe because he's an old man, 2 Samuel chapter 7 has already happened. In 2 Samuel 7, God made a promise. And even though it's not explicit, although there might be allusions to it here or there, I think that God has promised David that he would keep his kingdom around and he would not abandon him. And so you can kind of tell then on the basis of that language and that promise God, you promised to not abandon me, so don't abandon me. That's how he's praying. Is that how you pray? Is the basis of the things you pray for the promises that God made? Don't worry about tomorrow, Jesus says. 
Tomorrow has enough to worry about itself. If I clothe the lilies of the field and the birds of the air and feed them, how much more will I care for my children? God, on the basis of that promise, help me to trust you and not be anxious about tomorrow. This is, I think, the basic model for most prayers throughout the Bible. I want to just point it out to you. That's the righteousness. God, do what you said you would do. Do right by me. Treat me with fairness. I wonder for how many of us, righteousness is our basis for confidence, for hope, for trust. Is God's righteousness a wellspring for you to look and think, I'm I'm feeling good about my relationship with God. Trust, hope. I know God will do me right. Well, I think the answer for this, if you're a New Testament Christian, comes with the way that we saw salvation described. In David's life, it was echoing the Exodus salvation of deliverance from death. Imminent, impending death the nation of Israel found itself in, in their infancy, in their early days. And here, many, many years later, David is thinking about that story and writing Psalm 71 in his old age and saying, God, do it again. Impending death is right around the corner. Save again like you did in the Exodus story in Egypt. I get this from the language that you see in verse 19 and 20. So even to old age, And gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those to come. Your righteousness, O God, reaches the high heavens. You who have done great things, O God, who is like you? You have made me see many troubles and calamities. You will revive me again from the depths of the earth, and you will bring me up again. You will increase my greatness and comfort me again. If you read Exodus chapter 15, you will know that this section I just read for you is not a word for word, but a clear connection between the salvation song that God's people sang when God delivered his people out of slavery in Egypt. Death was was an inevitability. They were going to die. Pharaoh and his soldiers were chasing them down, and they were trapped, and they had nowhere to go. And God split the waters of the Red Sea. They passed through those waters, and on the other side, when those waters collapsed and crashed, the earth swallowed them up, the depths of the earth. There they were, through the depths of the waters and out to the other side. That's the deliverance that David's referring to in his song. And Jesus, as he's talking to Moses on the Mount of Transfiguration, says, I have an exodus to accomplish in Jerusalem. I'm going to perform an exodus. Go read Luke's account of the transfiguration story and see precisely that Jesus is thinking about his death on the cross as a new, as a greater, and as a more powerful exodus, a more powerful deliverance out of the depths. For Jesus Christ died on the cross for sinners, for those that deserved God's righteous wrath. Do you see, If God were righteous, which he is, then what would be right for sinners? What would be the right thing for him to do? If he were good, like a good judge, should he punish or should he just let you go scot-free? You see, it's on the basis of God's righteousness that you're actually dealing with a bigger problem than retirement. It's the lack of personal righteousness. And on the basis of God's righteousness, that should be your greatest fear today. 
not how much is in your bank account or 401k or how well your kids are going to care for you. It's will you be cared for in the grave when you're dead, when retirement is over? That, my friends, is the most important question for you to be thinking about. And if God's righteousness is the basis of your greatest fear and the fear of the Lord, what's so crazy about the Bible is that it becomes also the basis of your greatest joy, your greatest hope. You see, in Romans chapter 3, the Apostle Paul, when he's talking about the gospel and Jesus dying on the cross, it was to punish you, to punish Jesus for the sins that you deserved. Because of his righteousness, he had to punish sin, Paul explains. And so to demonstrate his righteousness, all who fell short of God's glory and sinned, they could be forgiven and pardoned by the grace of Jesus Christ so that God could be both just and righteous and the one who declares righteous those who are sinners. That, my friends, is the gospel. The gospel is both the bad news that you are not righteous, that you're no better than the very enemies that want to kill David. You're an enemy against God. And in God's righteousness, you should fear. Fear more than anything that this earth might have to offer. Death, a poor state, a bank account that's drawing on empty. So, brothers and sisters, turn to Jesus Christ by faith, repentance of your sins, with hope and longing, realize that the very same reason that David prays the righteousness of God is the very same reason you can pray now. That because God raised Jesus from the dead, the deliverance that's referred to about impending death, well, it was much worse. Jesus didn't just get close to death. Jesus actually died on the cross and then went down into the grave and the whole earth swallowed Jesus up in metaphorical sense. But he didn't remain dead. Three days later, Jesus rose again from the dead and he seated at the Father's right hand to pour out God's Holy Spirit. And as Romans 5 says, to pour out God's love into your hearts because there is now peace with God for all who have trusted in him by faith. The basis of your hope is righteousness. The basis of heaven and hell will be, will God be just? Will he be right? Will he do what's right with you, with me, with your friends, with your family? And the answer is always a resounding yes. And you can know that it's not because of your great righteousness to always in every situation do what's right to the people around you. Treat them the way that you would want to be treated. Oh, how many of us have fallen short of that basic commandment? Just treat everyone in your immediate family like you wish to be treated. Praise be to God that Jesus Christ did not give us what we deserve. That God Almighty is not only righteous, but he is gracious and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. That his righteousness can both condemn sin and acquit the guilty. And it's all centered on the cross of Christ. So I hope that as you're reminded of that beautiful picture where righteousness and justice meet at the cross, where his grace and mercy flow out by the power of the Holy Spirit, you too can pray for God to rescue you from the grave. What, what better retirement plan could you have? Even if things go really, really bad in this short, little, vapor-like life, you saved up for 30 years of vacations, all of eternity. The righteousness of God 
given to you on the basis of a free gift if you would trust in him. I don't think you could get much more secure than that. It's the very basis for why you would want to spend your retirement giving all that you have to the very last breath for the purpose of Sabbath-like rest, serving and worshiping God in those last days. So brothers and sisters, I pray that you would be encouraged by the gospel today and remember that the basis of salvation, deliverance from death, is the righteousness of God. Pray to him in the same way that David did. God, you promised that if you did not withhold from us your son, how will you not give us everything that we need here now for life and godliness? Do you have that kind of assurance and hope like David does as he concludes the psalm and says, you will increase my greatness. You will comfort me again. I know it. I will sing praises again. My lips will shout for joy. I will sing praises to you for my soul, which you have redeemed, and my tongue will talk of your righteous help all the day long. For my enemies have been put to shame and disappointed who sought to do me hurt. In the same way that Jesus Christ stood at the cross, hung on the cross, and his enemies stood there mocking him, they were put to shame, thinking that they were stopping God's plan. They were fulfilling it. The irony of the cross, the wisdom of God. Brothers and sisters, take hope and heart. Again, if you're here and you're not a Christian, and your hope is set on a good, luxurious, enjoying retirement, I pray that today's message will help reorient you to a much greater Sabbath rest for all of eternity. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we want to pray now in the name of your son Jesus and because of his imputed righteousness, the gift that he has given to us, not because of any great works we have done, but because of the mercy that's been shown to us in the person and in the work of Jesus Christ. Lord, we want to pray that the Holy Spirit would make us a grateful people, humbled, thankful, overwhelmed with great joy and gladness that you have given us a gift that we could never repay you even if we tried. I pray, God, that there would be extreme gratitude for how well you care for us from our infancy to our youth to middle age to old age. You're faithful and that your mercy is new every morning. I want to thank you, God, for your faithfulness to care for us and the greatest need that we've ever had, which is salvation from our sins, the punishment of your wrath. God, we're undeserving of this gift, so we want to tell the next generation how great the gospel is. We want to sing about the gospel, and we want everyone to know that we are accepted and not forsaken, whether young or old to our dying breath because Jesus Christ was forsaken in our place. And we pray that that message will resound in our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen.